0: not very good good. what's the matter with you i'm here i'm sorry i didn't mean to ruin your day oh i do this because i'm not good at anything else um are you have any questions anything on your mind anything you guys would like to talk about before we dive in today all right uh today is trinity sunday it's the day we confess that big long athanasian creed hey there's air conditioning um who is praying? Thank you. Um, we, uh, our church typically has three creeds. We, we back and forth between uh, the, the Apostles' Creed, the church's daily creed, the short one. Uh, then we, we have the Nicene Creed, which is the creed we usually say on Sunday mornings, the divine service creed. And then we also have... You fixed it. I don't know what you did. The, that part, the that. That's fantastic. Um, <laughs> the Athanasian Creed. So what's typically happened over time is um, the creed is... is how we answer the the really complex questions that you get put on the spot for? Who is God? And you say, well, um, I don't know. And you start trying to scramble for passages in the Bible. You try start trying to to conceive the inconceivable. You start trying to, to condense all of it into something where you can answer real quickly, oh, without uh, uh, God is um, nice and love and fierce and power. We say, oh, I know who God is. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. We answer, and we've been taught to answer. There's always been a representation of what we believe. As problems have cropped up, the the creeds have grown throughout time. So there was a guy named Arius who said that Jesus wasn't God. He was created. He's powerful, fine. He could do cool stuff, great. But he wasn't actually God. And that brought about the Council of Nicaea, where the Nicene Creed got its roots, where we started to say then all that extra stuff about the second person in the Trinity, believing God of God, light of light, very God of very God, all this extra stuff getting put in there, just really making our point, this is who God is. When we want to talk about who God is, the Athanasian Creed is the big one. It's it's come down to the nation of do we have a triune God or not. And it's tricky because here's the thing, um, who's smarter, you or God? If you're smarter than God, you, your God is just not very impressive to me. Who's bigger? You are God. If you are bigger than God or as big as God, if you can completely get your head around something that much bigger than you, I really want to talk to you about how terrible your God is because you need a new one. Um, if your God is something you can fully get your head around, he's just as big as you. But the problem is, as big as you has all kinds of problems already. So a God that's no bigger than you are can't actually help you with anything. That's... So we do have... The Athanasian Creed. This is something that our church uh, confesses. We do it every fifth Sunday here, or at least we try to when I don't forget, um, because it's one of those things that is, is absolutely foundational to our creed, so um, to our faith, so much that we say, whoever does not confess this creed, divorces himself from Christianity. This is how we talk then, and so we can recognize that Christianity is is a complex place, um, and, and what we want to say then is is as much as we can what is true without going too far. Uh, if you go to page three hundred and nineteen of your hymnal, you can find the Athanasian Creed, page 319. When we talk about the, uh, the Athanasian Creed, uh, one of the things that we, we recognize um, is that Christianity is a big and complex place. Um, is the word of God true? If it isn't, how do you know anything about God? If it isn't, all we're doing here is spinning our wheels because everything that we do here is based on the Bible so much so that if we want to have a talk about God, we have to first start say, all right, are you willing to accept this thing as, as what God has given to us to understand? Because if you're not willing to say this is actually God's word, well, then when we quote to you stuff from it, you're going to be like, yeah, so what? There's really not a lot we can talk about. But we also recognize that inside of Christianity, there are people who disagree with us. And we don't want to say that if you don't believe every single jot and tittle of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod doctrine, you are damned to hell for all eternity. That's just not true. There will be Roman Catholics in heaven. They make it a lot harder on themselves. There will be Methodists in heaven. Some of the things that they believe, though, we say, why are you doing that? Because, for one, the Bible says it's not so hard. We don't want to say the Methodists are condemned. We don't want to say the Roman Catholics are condemned. This is actually how we define who's in and who's out. If you can confess the three creeds, whatever denomination you would call yourself, we'll say absolutely, we'll see you up there. Thanks be to God. But at the same time, when we talk about the the details of it, it's not so that we can make life harder. It's so that we can make life easier. It's so that we can find peace and comfort in the fact that God actually has something to say to us. Inside of that, though, there, there's some language inside of the Athanasian Creed that we sometimes struggle with because we don't say it very often because it, it's a technical term, because there's, there's big words in it. And I don't like big words. Um, I can't spell them. I can't pronounce them. It makes me feel embarrassed. Uh, and so when we deal with this thing, we want to kind of take some time with it. So even if we just start off, are you kind of with me so far? Any questions or comments on this thing? Even if we just start off, just almost as soon as we get going, we start having trouble. Uh, verse one of the Athanasian Creed. You know it's a problem when there's, it's so long. You have verses, um, but but verse one: Whoever desires to be saved must above all hold the Catholic faith. And everybody says, "Now wait, what does this mean?" Catholic is universal. So there's two ways to talk about Catholic, and you guys have probably been taught this a lot before, right? There's a difference between the big C and the little C, right? What what's the big C? That's the Roman Catholic Church, and that's a particular denomination. Um, the word Catholic, though, we don't like this big C. We want to make it a little C because the little C is a Bible word. It's actually a Greek word, catholes. Um It means of the same, and it's actually in the Bible. If we go to Acts nine thirty one in our Bible, where did I put my Bible? There's my Bible. Acts nine thirty one. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. The church throughout is the church catholic, the church catholic, the church altogether. Lowercase c, catholic, just means all of us, we're, bigger, we're united in something bigger than ourselves. And so this is not the church of Harrison. If this was the church of Harrison or even Pastor Goodman, You guys are in trouble. Why? Because I'm a sinner, and that's the nicest thing you can say about me. Um, If this stands or falls on me, what you have is called a cult. You should not be a part of a cult. If this thing is based on God, though, then it's bigger than all of us. It has existed existed before all of us. It means the church throughout all. So that means, then, we are part of something. Namely, we are united to Christ our Lord. We are the church Catholic, lowercase c. And so, go ahead. Another word to say for this then, the invisible church. And so inside of Lutheran doctrine, we have two understandings of church. Because when we we took church, the word church is actually kind of a butchered German word. And German has three words for church, depending on what thing you're talking about, which actually makes it really easy to understand. And if we just say church, the problem is when I say, hey, y'all go into church this Sunday, we mean, what set of bricks are you going to sit inside of and pray there's air conditioning? What's the problem with that? Are you the whole church? No. Why would you think that? Jesus himself says, there are many who, are, 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 who call on my name who are of other folds, and I must gather them in. Um, when we say church, we can say, though, congregation and and we can say the saints who are gathered around God's word and sacraments in Windside we say we are Saint Paul Lutheran church that's not wrong but that means then inside of the visible church you have visible problems you have visible sinners and so inside of Saint Paul Lutheran church we have a personality we do because we're collected of of each other and we actually grow to be more and more like each other and so I've been here five years now and I've had a bad influence in that some of you are much more sarcastic than when I got here. Um, and I'm sorry for that. But, but God willing, I'll become more saintly like you um, over time. <laughs> the visible church can err. The visible church can have problems. And so we can say that inside of God's visible church, there can be false doctrine taught. There can be people who sit in the pews who are not Christian but come and sit in the pews. We, we would like that if they would come and sit in the pews. Maybe they'll hear something. That's great. Um, but we recognize then, inside of the visible churches, there might be differences. There might be problems. There's also God's invisible church. The, 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 the whole church, Catholic. And that is something you can't necessarily see, but it is all of the saints throughout all of time and all of eternity. We talk about this in our liturgy, and so we're getting ready to have communion, and we say, with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, because Jesus is here. And heaven is not a cloud. Heaven is wherever Jesus is. And if Jesus shows up right there under bread and wine for you to eat and drink, he doesn't just come down from heaven and say, all right, I'll see you later. He says, all of heaven and earth slam together in something mysterious, something glorious, in that angels sing, archangels sing, and every saint who has gone before us into glory stands shoulder to shoulder with us as we are near Jesus. Because that's where they are right now. They're resting with Jesus. And so when Jesus comes to us, he brings them too so that we are not alone. What a joy. What a wonderful thing. And that also means that God isn't taking turns. And and this is something that we we sort of do with, sadly, um, Santa Claus, um, who we we figure must be sort of like Jesus, because he gives you stuff and uh, he sees if you're well-behaved or not, except that's nothing like God at all. Um, In fact, Santa Claus punched Arius in the ear for saying Jesus wasn't God at the Council of Nicaea. My favorite Santa Claus story is, we we don't know where coal came from, but Santa will absolutely punch you in the ear if you uh, deny the Trinity um he, he's done it before he will do it again this is saint nicholas of Murrah, known for just a handful of things he was generous towards children especially orphans he put gold in stockings of young women so they could get married and he punched heretics in the ear um he gets down and so when when we deal with this though we, we have this thing the little kids ask how can santa visit every house at night it's one christmas and we do the same thing here how can jesus actually be here and in wayne you have church at the same time i know it's not that far but there's construction i don't understand how it's going to work um we say, look, God is not bound by the same things we are because, again, God is bigger than us. He sends forth his Holy Spirit that not just where the person of Jesus walks and talks with you because he has ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father, but where he sends forth his Holy Spirit on Pentecost last week that wherever God's word is preached, wherever his sacraments are administered, there he is. This is the promise that he makes at the Great Commission. He says, when you're going into all nations, teach them. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I will be with you always not. Not just sort of like you'll have a tingly feeling in your heart wherever you go, because sometimes you won't. But where God's word is taught, where sacraments are administered, God actually shows up to work, to help, to save. So here, here God can work because the Holy Spirit is present. This is the joy of the church. When we talk about Catholic then, all of us who are united by faith, given faith by the Holy Spirit, who are called, gathered, enlightened, sanctified, and kept by our catechism. Um, So when we say the church Catholic, lowercase c. We mean this, all those who trust in the triune God. That's a big tent, and it's good. We want it to be bigger. That's great. But this is how we define it, because you can't just say, I believe in the God of my heart. The God of my heart honestly looks a lot like me. Um, He hates all the people I hate. He votes the way I vote. The God of my heart, he, he is just willing to excuse any dumb thing that I do because I had a great excuse. I had an exception to the rule. But he will hold you accountable to hell for the things you have done against me. This is the thing that we do with our God, isn't it? And this is why there's all the, all the terrible things done in the name of religion. We try and shape God into looking like something other than that into a lot more like me. And so we say, no. The God of God is not going to be defined this way. This is how we define him. And if you're not on board, we've got to talk. So... Whoever desires to be saved must, above all, hold the Catholic faith. Whoever does not keep it whole and undefiled will, without doubt, perish eternally. Keep what? The faith. This is the faith that we're about to lay out. And this is something that, that we joyfully can, can recognize, although we might have a lot that we want to talk about with the Roman Catholics, the big C. We might have a lot we want to talk about with the Baptists. We can agree on this. And we rejoice that we can agree on this, because that means that it will get cleared up in heaven where the veil will be lifted and we will understand firmly. There, there is a right and a wrong, but the joy is we actually get to talk about it on the other side when, when we know we'll finally reach peace. Until then, we would love to work towards unity. We would love to, but this is the thing that binds us together. This is sadly also the thing that starts to separate the sects and the cults from Christianity. And so if you have something like a Mormon, who would be some of the nicest people you'll ever meet, and I don't want to throw rocks, um, the nicest people I've ever met in my life were Mormons. Um, They they say that they are Christian, or at least they're usually grouped that way, especially in the news. Um, But if you ask them, will you confess this creed with me? They'll say, I can't do that, because I don't believe that Jesus is God. And I don't believe the Holy Spirit is God. And I say, all right, well, can we talk about that? Because until we can figure that out, whatever we are, we're not quite the same. Are you kind of with me on that? Any questions? We draw these lines, not so that we can rejoice that everybody else is out of it, and so we can say, ha ha ha, everybody else is going to hell, too bad for them. No. But so that we can know, you guys, I have done some stuff, some really dumb stuff, some really terrible stuff. How do I know I'm in We want something rooted in more than just me. In the same way that God can't be measured by me, my salvation can't either. Because if it's measured by me, how will I ever know? I can lie to myself. I can try and lower the standards. The Pharisees themselves were great at this. They say, what do you mean? I I haven't murdered anybody. And Jesus has to respond, well, yeah, you understand what was said of old. But don't you know that anybody who hates his neighbor has committed murder in his heart? If you want to measure this thing on yourself, it's going to go bad. So we have to measure it in God, and here He lets us draw lines. Not so that we can be not so that we can be happy. Other people are outside of it, but so that we can finally be at peace. That we are inside of it, because then it's not measured on whether or not I've managed to not be an idiot this week, because I was an idiot this week. It's measured on this: I am saved by Christ, who was crucified and raised, who the Father sent. I have received that gift in the waters of baptism, when the Holy Spirit was given to me. I know I'm in. And I want you to be in too. So much so that I don't have to say, figure it out. But I can say, look, the answer is right here. Look, I can give it to you. It's free. It's for you. This is why we, we draw these lines. Um, and, and anybody trying to, to kick it the other way, just let's pause and ask what the goal is here. Because if you're really just trying to rejoice that somebody you don't like is going to hell, um, recognize that Jesus died for your neighbor, even your enemy. And so even if you don't like them, he thought they were important enough to shed his blood for The the joy, then, is that even evil people, God reaches out towards. Proof of which is that I am standing here. God saves sinners. Thanks be to God. Are you with me on this? Questions or comments? Concerns? Only God knows who was chosen before the foundation of the world. So we can say, then, in the book of Ephesians, we say, before God ever spoke and said, let there be light, he knew everything, because God, it's a perk of the job. He, He knew everything. He knew everyone who would be saved. He knew your name, he knew my name, and he said, they're going to be saved. Before the lamb, or for the foundation of the world, the lamb was slain. That's Ephesians 1, that's Revelation, I want to say 12, it's right there. But he needs it to play out in time. And so before the foundation of the world, the lamb was slain, but still Jesus had to take flesh and actually die. This was his plan, nothing was going to stop him. It was so firm that we can actually say it's done. In the same way that I call you a saint. A saint is a holy one, somebody who belongs to heaven. You are a saint now because I know so firmly that you will be saved because of what God has done for you that I can say you already belong to heaven because when God sets his will towards it, it's good. So here's the thing. Um, You you just ask the hardest question there is, don't you? You come to learn something. All right, so... Jesus died for all. Thank you for sticking with scripture. Because if we're going to do this thing, we have to stick with scripture. Because after all, who is smarter, you or God? Huh? Your wife. Who is smarter, your wife or God? She's brilliant. Don't get me wrong. But no, I'm sorry. God is smarter than your wife. She's brilliant. But God is actually the smartest one. And so, in the end of the day, then, what we're going to do is we're going to hold on to God's word. The temptation is to say, I'm at least as smart as God. Because he didn't even have an iPhone when he wrote this book. I can just Google stuff. I got this thing figured out. I'm serious. It's not that hard. You just type it in there and give it any answer you want in the whole world. Because you can watch YouTube. It's great. You don't even have to look at me. Um, and I can say, all right, so Bible says some were chosen. The Bible says some will go to heaven and some will go to hell. All right. So I, there, there, there's some who will go to heaven and some who will go to hell and do a little bit of math. I had to be a pastor. I'm not great at this stuff, but I can still say one plus one is two. You're with me, right? That's not hard. All right. So God wanted these in heaven. And this is how many there are. God must have wanted some people to go to hell, right? Because one plus one is two. Two minus one is one. This is not hard. There's a problem. Over and over and over again, scriptures say God died for all, not some. He said, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, even the evil people, but they would turn from their way and be saved. Jesus himself says, "Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, would that I could gather you in as a hen gathers her brood, but you would not. God wants everyone to be saved, right? Does he want anybody to go to hell? There are places where it, you, you watch the thing happen. Um, my favorite, I think, is um, Pharaoh. You remember the Exodus? There's a Charlton Heston movie about it. it m- makes it a little more accessible because you don't got to read stuff. But uh, overall, pretty good. Um, over and over again, Moses goes to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh. Says, Moses says to Pharaoh, let my people go. I can't hear it in any other voice than Charlton Heston's. It's, it's just he, he must have spoke English and not Egyptian. I'm convinced of it. Um, and Pharaoh says, no, 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 and finally, yes. But then he changes his mind. And so he runs out after the Israelites who are fleeing Egypt with all their stuff, and he traps them between the Red Sea and the whole army with all the chariots and all the horses. And Pharaoh says, I got you now. And God says, now hang on, you said. Over, how many times did God reach out to Pharaoh that Pharaoh might believe? How many plagues were there? Ten. It's okay. We'll go back to Um... <laughs> It's okay. Um, Ten times, over and over again, was he still reaching out, over and over He rips the whole sea in half right in front of Pharaoh and says, stop. But here's the thing. God has promised to the elect, you will be saved, nothing will harm you. And Pharaoh wants to eliminate the religion entirely. God has to save the religion. Here, God finally did harden Pharaoh's heart. He was drowned in the Red Sea. Not because God simply wanted to say, Pharaoh, I wanted to see you in hell all along. I want you to be an example for everybody how not to behave. But because, look, this is what love does. It runs into a brick wall for somebody over and over again until it simply can't anymore. How many of you guys would do that for your kids? I mean, just reach out, knowing, well, this is going to go bad. Over and over again. How many parents do that for their kids? That's what you do. If you can love your kids that way and you're a sinner, how much more can God who's not? So over and over again, God reached out to Pharaoh, and yes, Pharaoh was damned, it, it says. Um, that's sad. That's awful. But this was simply because, this wasn't because God chose it. This wasn't because God didn't care, because God didn't reach out. It was because over and over and over again, Pharaoh heard the word, received it, and then spit it back out. Um, So what we have to ultimately say then is, along with scripture, God is smarter than us. And the hardest thing to do in this whole case is shut up. Especially for me, I talk a lot. It's hard for me to just shut up. But this is what we have to do. So we believe that there is such a thing as predestination. That's a theological term. God chose some people to be saved. He did not choose some people to be damned. Where's the difference? I don't understand it, but I guess God is smarter than me. I can't do calculus. How am I supposed to figure out who's saved and who's not? I mean, if I could do calculus, maybe. But no, even then. Um, And so inside of this, then, we want to see it played out in time. Because this is supposed to actually be a comfort, this doctrine of predestination. Not this, well, how do I know when I pray our Father if he's actually my Father? how do I know if I'm in or out? Because I've done some stuff. How do I know he's there at all? God works these things in time and space because as it turns out, we're stuck in time and space too. And so we need something to come along because I can say, well, heaven's a great thing for spirits and they'll float around. Um, God's a spirit and that's great. But he made us flesh. We have bodies. We have hungers. We have emotions. And that's not something he would make call very good and then abandon. So much so that when God confronted Adam and Eve in the garden, even after they'd sinned, he walked up to it. We need a God who will deal with us like we are. Otherwise, we cannot simply conceive him, reach him, deal with him. And so, uh, the Bible says, uh, no one can come to the Father except through the Son. If you want to know who God is, you start with Jesus. For through the face of the Son is the light of the glory of God revealed, which is 1 Corinthians. Um, when, we, when we talk about these things, We have to recognize that when God needs this thing to play out, he can't just say, try and feel God in your heart. Because you know when my heart feels good? When I'm doing dumb stuff. And you know when my heart feels empty and like I need God more than anything? When I'm at my lowest, when God is supposed to be saving me. If you try and measure God by the feeling in your heart, when you need him the most, he will seem the farthest away. And he says that's awful because I'm here to save sinners. I'm here to save the lost. Though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you shall fear no evil, not because the valley of the shadow of death turns bright and sunny, but because I am with you. So how do you know God's with you? This is where we start with the creed. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. I can say I know what God looks like. He was a Middle Eastern looking dude. He died upon the cross like 2,000 years ago and rose from the dead. This is how I conceive of the Father. He's the one the Son has told me about. He is the one who has delivered to me the Holy Spirit. This is where we start. And when I say, how do I know God deals with me? Because you know what? That was great 2,000 years ago. He healed the sick and we got sick people not getting healed. We know that he rose from the dead because other people saw it, but I didn't. So I don't know God would have anything to do with this. Because I am a far cry short of Jesus. Even though I have to stand in his stead and say, by his command, I forgive you. Here we turn to the Holy Spirit's gifts. And again, the Holy Spirit works through stuff. God works through people and stuff. Read the Bible over and over again. He could just like zap stuff. But over and over again, he works through people and he works through stuff. When we wanted to feed 5,000 people, it was a miracle. But he still used bread and fish. When he wants to be here with you, he's in word and sacrament. So that you can actually know. This is going to be our text today. is John chapter 3. Um, the, you must be born of water and the Spirit. God joins his Holy Spirit, who you cannot see, to water that you can, so that you can actually know. Are you saved? And you already answered me this. Yes, I'm baptized. It says right there, baptism now saves you, 1 Peter 3.21. And that's not setting baptism against God. That's not saying baptism saves me and not God. That's saying this is how God saves me, through baptism. How do you know that the Holy Spirit would have anything to do with you? Well, he splashed water on me and he joined his word to it. And it's promised that through this, lo, you will be with me always, even to the end of the age. That means that when I am at the valley of the shadow of death and I look around and I cannot see God and I cannot feel God, and I sure don't deserve God because I put myself there if I'm going to be really honest with you. Lo, I will be with you always. And I will set up a table in the presence of your enemies. And there will be a cup that runneth over. I like this psalm because it almost talks about things that I can see and touch. We go to this psalm for like the worst day of our life, the 23rd psalm. We, we, we don't break it out until things are terrible. And then we talk about it like it's this, this, this inconceivable nice soothing phrase when the whole time it's painting a picture of what church is. He sets up a table right there in the presence of every dumb thing you've ever done, everybody that hates you, everything the world would ever say against you, the devil himself. And here he puts a cup on the table and is the, he sets a cup that runneth over with blessings, with the blood of Christ. This is where God is with us in our dark days so that we can know. I don't measure it in me. Why would I? Me is the problem. If I could do all these things, I wouldn't need God. We measure it into his gifts, his promises. And so he gives his gifts to sinners, like me, like you. Does that kind of answer your question? That was the long, drawn-out one. I feel, you ask the hard question, you get the hard answer. The, the, the hardest answer, honestly, is, is not speaking for God where God doesn't speak. Um, and so I can tell you what I do know. But where he says, you know, why are some damned? I, I can say, look, God didn't want it. He says so. Yeah, there are those who have been baptized and fall away from the faith. And this is why some denominations won't baptize babies. They say flat out, look, if baptism doth now save you like the Bible says, why are people baptized and then they stop going to church? Why are people baptized and then go and live reprobate lives? And we say, all right, so let's talk about this. Because that verse, 1 Peter 3.21, can we go to it in the Bible? 1 Peter 3.21, way in the back there. What did I stand on? Gross. Anyway, I'm going to read uh, a few verses around it because I don't like cherry picking. I'm going to start at uh, verse 18. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 and following. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought through safety through water baptism which corresponds to this now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and the powers of heaven being subjected to him. Alright, I know it's a little wordy, we're going to sort through it, alright? And I'm going to draw a picture, because pictures help me. Um, Even if I can't draw. So, in 1 Peter 3.21 it says baptism now saves you, right? Alright, so before you say God is wrong, let's just take a deep breath. If either the Bible says baptism now saves you or it doesn't. Does it say it? Let, let's start this. Now baptism which corresponds to this. What's this? Noah and the ark, right? Baptism which corresponds to Noah and the ark in which eight souls were brought through water now saves you. So let's start with, with an ark. I like a big boat. Uh, it's got a sail. I don't know. That's my boat. Baptism which corresponds to this boat now saves you. Did God save Noah or did the ark save Noah? Or is that a dumb question? God saved Noah, but how did God save Noah? God can do whatever he wants. He's God. He could float him in a bubble. But he says, this is how I'm going to save you, Noah. Build this boat. And you're in this boat. You will be safe from the water. All right. So God sometimes promises to work through people and stuff. God works through a boat to save Noah. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. So here's Noah. Noah's in the boat. Noah is happy. Because Noah is not dead. Water covered everything else. This is day 39 of the flood. The waters have covered the mountains. There is nothing left. Is Noah safe on the ark? The ark now saves you. Noah, Noah gets it in and said, You know what? God, I don't need your stupid boat. I don't need your stupid rules. I'm going swimming. Here's Noah. He is sad. Why is Noah sad? Because he's going to drown. Did the baptism break? Did the ark break? Is there anything wrong with the ark? The problem is not the ark. The problem is that Noah's an idiot. Get back on the boat. Dummy. If you want to be off the boat, fine. But don't think there's anything wrong with the boat. What's the only thing that's going to save Noah? God needs to reach down from the boat, pick up Noah, stick him back on the ark, and Noah will be okay. Baptism, which corresponds to this. This picture now saves you. So, will the people be, who will be baptized as babies, who will say, you know what, God, I don't need your stupid church. I don't need your stupid rules. I don't need you to call me a sinner every week. I'm done. And they walk away. Will there? Are there? Yes. Like in our community, in our town, related to this congregation, fine. Is that good or bad? Bad. Does that mean there's anything wrong with the baptism? What does God then do? Over and over and over again. What a joy. It, it doesn't mean that the baptism broke. It doesn't mean that the baptism doesn't save. It means that they tried to leave it behind. And so God, in his mercy, reaches out over and over and over again. He tells parables about this. There's a parable about um, everybody who wishes that God's word were more fair, um, but by fair I mean treats me nice and other people mean. And so there, are, uh, there was a man who went out and hired a bunch of guys to work in his field. He went out at the beginning of the day, hired a bunch of people, and uh, he didn't have enough. There, there were enough. So he goes out every few hours and he brings in more there's somebody brought in at the 11th hour like right before quitting time and he gets paid the same amount of money as everybody else is that fair huh i mean if i was working at the whole day no that's not fair if i was working the last hour yeah that's fair um that's just how i tend to see things i'm just saying um god doesn't care about fair fair would be you being punished for your own sins not jesus god is not concerned with fair he's concerned with justice and he's concerned with love Justice punishes sin upon a cross. Love forgives you. So, will there be people then who God reaches out to over and over again in the very last minute, saved from the jaws of death itself? Praise the Lord. Stop worrying so much about what's fair. Rejoice that God works, that you can be certain that even though this guy was reprobate all his life, he cursed God most of it, but on his hospital bed as he was dying, the pastor went and said, will you pray with me? Will you commune with me? We can know that, remember this, this big circle with the little c? It's for him that God would draw this line. So I can say at his funeral, yeah, pastor, I don't know if you really want to say he's in heaven. He did some dumb stuff. And you say, I know he's in heaven. What are you talking about? This is where the line is. This is where he was. He received the gifts. Either the line is wrong, God is wrong, the Bible is wrong, or maybe you're just being maybe a little egotistical, and we should talk about it. We talk about it. Does God actually do what he promises through the gifts that he promises? Well, then rejoice. Because this line is here for your comfort, not to condemn. Are you with me? Questions or comments? You sure? You asked me the hardest one already. I have still nowhere to go but up. That's why I'm asking. Next week while I'm gone? All right, deal with Pastor and then. Give him a good day. You'll work him. All right, how are we on time? Oh, we're out of time. Um, That was was good. I'd rather talk about stuff you care about, stuff I care about. I can fill an hour. Um, No, we're going to get ready. Um, Thank you very much. If there's no more questions, let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Well, thank you all for your time.